Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Roland Lazarus is my guest. Uh, he's written a new book about Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. Um, I'm excited because, you know, I, I grew up in Southern California. My family moved there in 1981 and uh, was basically around for the entire, you know, we were out for the whole Showtime era. And it concluded really with Magic Johnson's announcement that he contracted HIV, which kind of brings me to how I get into this, this version of All Ball. And when you think of the, places you're, you were when things happened, where were you when Magic announced he had HIV? It was about this time of year, shortly actually before the season began. I was at Tustin High School, and the way it works in Southern California in high school basketball is until you have, until practices start, you have six period. Your final period of the day is your PE, is your basketball class. So it becomes like a de facto practice but it's just not considered practice time. And you only have the time of whatever your class schedule is. Right. So, and I'll never forget that uh, we had a team meeting on the court and my coach this is before my freshman year. My coach was a man named Tom McCluskey. Tommy was the head coach the year before when they won the state championship. He played for Dick Harder at Penn state. He's a big dude, about six, seven, six, eight, incredible coach. And also really about the kind of life lessons you learn and, in sports. And um, I mean, I distinctly remember it to this day that, that he called us all in to sit on the court and he said, boys, in about a half hour, there's going to be a press conference with the Lakers. Magic Johnson is going to retire. And we were just like all stunned. Cause you remember this is Magic Johnson. And though he wasn't at his peak, um, they had just come off the NBA Finals where they got beat four games to one by the Chicago Bulls. So this is really, and and back then in the NBA, you know, outside of the Olympics, the next, the following summer, you didn't really hear from NBA players in the offseason. Right? The Bulls won. It was Michael Jordan's first championship. It became about Jordan. It became about him taking over the league. And it wasn't that you didn't think about Magic Johnson, but you weren't really thinking about Magic Johnson. It's not like the daily drama you have these days when lots of free agent player movement, guys forcing trades, all, all that didn't simply didn't exist. You had the NBA draft, and then I don't know, you'd see them in the in the preseason. But that that was basically it. So Magic Johnson's gonna retire. Those words kind of hung for a couple of seconds. But he's gonna retire because he's contracted something called HIV. And then I remember him saying, which eventually leads to AIDS, which means he's going to die. 
It's from unprotected sex. And, you know, this is a real thing. You need to discuss with your parents what all these things mean. Um, but, you know, just know, like, I know a lot of you guys love watching Magic play. I love watching Magic play. He's not going to play basketball anymore. And, you know, it's, it's really, really sad. And this disease is really, really scary. And you guys have to understand the world in which you live in, how to protect yourself from it. Right. So you guys want to take five minutes and and catch your breath. Anyway, I, I, there's guys crying. I remember our our best player was a senior named Gentry Moore. Gentry signed a letter of intent to go to TCU, and Gentry was he was a mess. And then we practiced for a little bit, and then we went into his office and watched the press conference, and wiped away tears, practiced some more. So it was a really kind of emotional day. But I'll contend with you this and. Well, I'll put out another pod here in the next day or two, and I'll kind of run down all the different basketball stuff because the Lakers just beat the Suns, and there's some really good stuff going on with the Lakers, despite the fact that they had lost every road game. The Suns still not healthy. The Clippers, complete mess since the Harden trade. Uh, Luca put on a performance for the ages, 21 shots and he had what 46 points or something it's just crazy it's just crazy that guy can do and then of course you got college basketball where arizona beats duke at duke more of those games please uh, baylor looked amazing in their comeback win against auburn but as we roll into basketball season and with lebron james continuing to play and star and be a you know probably a top 20 top 15 maybe player in the nba at 39 years old lost in the greatest of all time debate somehow is magic Johnson. I granted he didn't, he didn't play as long as LeBron. Um, and he didn't play as long as, as Michael Jordan, but all the NBA titles, the MVPs, he changed the sport, changed the position. He's, I believe considered a billionaire. He's like, what, LeBron would have been like had LeBron come out in that era. That makes sense. And when you run and dominate a league, as well as, well, first you say he built up college basketball. Remember, the most watched college basketball national championship game of all time is Bird versus Magic. That allowed the sport to kind of break out. So I don't know if he saved or fixed or started March Madness, but he deserves credit. So does Larry Bird. And by most accounts, he saved the NBA, along with Larry Bird. The dynamic of white versus black, east versus west, you know, slow and steady versus playing fast. All these different, all these different things at play for a time. And remember, this is during the uh, Magic Bird and then Michael era. The NBA was actually king. How, how we view football in terms of dominating sports on TV was how we viewed the NBA back then. Obviously, the Advent of fantasy football, proliferation of gambling. Honestly, probably the proliferation of basketball on TV. We, we get maybe too much now. Uh, has watered down the product, watered down the ratings. And football has caught, passed, even boat raced um, the NBA. But to give true context to how big Magic was is to tell you that when he announced his retirement due to HIV, he was the significant superstar in the world that brought it to the forefront. 
because previous to magic, HIV was seen as a gay man's disease. It wasn't anything that people discussed at length in high schools. It just wasn't. And in my lifetime, the poignant moments that made me really think and understand adult things. Uh, Len Bias, dying after using cocaine. I would say, obviously, Magic Johnson. And then probably Jason Williams with the gun stuff at, at his house in New Jersey. There's been some, you know, maybe Plexico bursts uh, in terms of guns can go off and how illegal guns are and all the different uh, elements to it. But Magic, the player, it, it, he is one that you can't really describe the presence that he had. You know, because now I think if you're, you know, if you're 35 or younger, you see some of the passes and you thought like, well, that was it. Like he was a fancy passer on the fast break. Nah, he had this mix of panache, presence. He hit big shots. And, and he did it all despite the fact that while he was big and way bigger than anyone who had played his position previously, he wasn't crazy athletic. But he always got to where he needed to get to. He may, he, though he had a weird kind of push shot and began as a non-shooter, by the end of his career, he's a very good shooter. He always seemed to be able to get things done in spite of whatever his weaknesses were. But more than anything, he had a presence. You know, a couple years later, later he was going to come back with the Lakers. And when he came back with the Lakers, he was playing in their preseason. I remember we went to the uh, – before it was the – it was the Fabulous Forum, then it was the Great Midwest Forum. We went to the Forum to see this – it was a d preseason doubleheader. It was called, like, the Great Midwest Shootout. And I think it was, like, the Kings, the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Lakers. And, and then don't hold me to that. It may have been one of the other Western teams, but I, maybe the Supersonics instead of the Clippers. But I, how I remember it was the Lakers would play the Warriors one night and play the Kings the next night. It was like a way of playing preseason games and saving some money and putting them all in one building. And after the first game, the Lakers came out and everybody from the Lakers was warming up and then Magic took the court. And it was, it was Magic. He just had a way of playing where you couldn't ever get up and go get popcorn because you thought you were going to miss something. All right, let's get to this podcast. Roland Asmany is an incredible author. Um, I don't need to go through all of his books. Here's my discussion with him in regards to his new Magic Johnson book. Roland, thanks so much for taking time with me. Uh, what, what triggered you to write this book? Uh, you know, it was one I wanted to do earlier. The publishing industry is uh, also into analytics like everything else, especially sports. And uh, they weren't sure about the analytics on this one. I, I Obviously, I did Michael Jordan the Life for Little Brown, and they preferred Kobe over Magic. And I was happy because I'd spent a lot of time with Kobe. And so both of those books are uh been really successful globally too but um i i switched to mcmillan and they were eager to do magic when i pr uh proposed it and you know magic's one of the great great stories he he changed so many things about the game he he did and it's really interesting um i'm old enough and obviously you're a little older than me but i'm old enough to understand the dynamic of Magic Johnson, uh, he changed college basketball, right? 
I mean, college basketball's popularity is directly related to Magic Johnson. The NBA's popularity is directly related to Magic Johnson. And it's interesting because up until recently, he's kind of done the aw shucks thing, right? He called Kobe the greatest Laker, um, which is just not true. Um, he's, he, he doesn't insert himself into the greatest player of all time discussion, which he absolutely should be. Um, and I think it's really smart, right? Cause to those of us who truly understand the dynamic of human nature, usually it should be, you don't say those things. You let other people say those things. Right. Th- the problem is that time is not really on his side. Right. And this generation didn't see him play. How do, how do you think magic really feels about his own contributions to the game? Oh, I think that, um, he feels his style of play, his approach to the game, uh, isn't valued as much anymore. I, I, I think that he's a guy that probably, um, you know, he's been competing with Michael Jordan for a long time now. They're still competing furiously. Michael just reached a three a $3 billion level in wealth. Magic crossed the billion dollar line, you know, magic's had to work furiously to get that billion and Michael's worked some, he's done a lot of smart things, made smart investments, but you know, the Nike deal he got was the game changer there. And, and so, um, magic is still hungry. He, he has things to prove. He uh, has learned that you, you can't prove them all by saying things about yourself, you know, and, but he is at that level where he's willing to remind people now. He started recently. It's it's a recent trend, which I really, I actually really like because I know it to be true. Um, So you decide to write this, the analytics said, Kobe, you finally get the green light. What's the process like of compiling all these interviews and talking to people and putting this together? Well, you know, it's um, Pete Newell told me years ago, I did a Jerry West biography for ESPN Books in 2010. And years before, Pete Newell had told me that if I wanted to understand Jerry West, I really had to understand West Virginia. And Pete Newell got my attention. You know, I went really deep into the Jerry West background and discovered an amazing story there. And I, I did the same, attempted to do the same with Michael. My Michael Jordan book's now in 21 languages. It just came out in Portuguese. And <laughs> he is a global, global guy. And Kobe, 12 languages. Uh, you know, American basketball couldn't get anybody's attention for decades. And here comes Magic. Here comes Larry. You know, the ratings in the NBA have just fallen 25% in one year for regular season TV games. And those guys, you know, it wasn't some grand introduction. 
The teams were losing money, but they they the way they played was something different, and it got everybody's attention. And suddenly, here comes David Stern. He he's thinking big. No more that small thinking of the past. And then the dream team, then the Magic Johnson All Stars all over the place. And American basketball is ridiculous in its global reach now. You, you said the most important thing when you write in the Jerry West book is get to know West Virginia. So when you're writing on Magic Johnson, what do you have to get to know to know Magic Johnson? Well, it's a perfect uh, comparison because Michael Jordan's mother, who came off the coastal plain of North Carolina out of that abysmal sharecropping culture that had trapped so many families, black and white, well, Michael's mother and Magic's mother, she too came out of that sharecropping culture. And these are two women who, in their own ways, are really determined. And so I had to get to understand North Carolina really well. I thought I had with my Michael Jordan book, but I was really able to get a lot of much deeper background and, um, you know, magic was such a big thing in Michael's life. And, and so the parallel between those two sort of continued from looking at that background, looking at their families. Um, in a sense, Michael Jordan was very obscure as a teenager. Magic Johnson, on the other hand, in in different ways, was man. He he was uh, he had a lot of power at age fifteen, an amazing amount of power, and he was by then his family. Of course, he was born in Lansing, Michigan. He happened along right as they were doing all of the busing for racial integration. And he ended up right smack dab in the middle of that. But but the main thing about in regards to basketball, the main thing uh, that I try to do is to sort of find the organic player. Kobe, uh, I, I wanted to find the organic Kobe because there were a lot of misconceptions about him. Michael's organic nature was pretty much on display. But but Magic, you know, he's got the big smile. He's passing out assists. But that dude was a control freak from an early age. His high school teammate, who became his best man, Dale Beard, told me, he said, you know, I couldn't play my game with Magic. I had to play the way he wanted me to play, or I wasn't going to play. And Magic didn't just control his teammates. He controlled his coaches. And that is um, that is a determined teenager to accomplish that. It's, it's fascinating because uh, I, I grew up in Los Angeles, a gigantic Magic fan. I wasn't a Laker fan. I was a Magic fan. And I was a coach's son. I was a pastor's point guard. And... What I've learned and what my college guy played for coach Eddie Sutton at Oklahoma State. Right. And one time he said to me, like, you're the most selfish, unselfish player in the history of basketball. 
And I was like offended by it because he said, you know, all you want to do is play for assists. And the truth is that in anyone's normal processing line of thinking, you're like, how could assists ever be bad? Right? How could creating a shot for a teammate to look good ever be bad? But the control element of it and the desire to be the guy who grants your teammate this incredible opportunity, that's a real thing. And that's magic, right? I mean, he famously got, uh, you know, his his first coach fired. Just by the way, Larry Bird did as well. Um, right. So there's, there, 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 there's, there's, a, there's a lot to it. Um, what, what, when he went to Michigan State, what was that dynamic like? Oh, it was, he did not want to go there. He was absolutely, he did not like Judd Heathcote. He did not like all of his sideline histrionics. Um, it, it was just a bad fit. Michigan State had fired Gus Ganakis, the coach that Magic really enjoyed as a kid. And, you know, Judd Heathcote wasn't aware of Magic when he got to uh, Lansing. But uh, they told him he should get a get a background real quickly. But uh, Judd could not stand the idea of Magic passing off the dribble. And, of course, with his no-look passes and his revolutionary style of play, nobody's ever played that way really since. But he was born to pass off the dribble. Obviously, Magic was moving from high school to the Big Ten, uh, what was a beautiful pass in high school could become a Big Ten turnover in a flash. But they engaged in a um, a real test of wills, and Judd Heathcote had an extremely strong will, and so did Magic. And people don't realize Magic walked out of practice. He was done with Michigan State, but Dr. Charles Tucker – uh, called up Magic's father, and they got him back into practice in a few days. And so his tenure there didn't end that freshman season. But, you know, he eventually bent Judd Heathcote uh, to his will, not not heavily, but enough to get that championship in their second season. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. He ends up in Los Angeles, right? There's a uh, trade, you know, Goodrich is traded. He ends up with the Lakers. 
What, what was his first interactions in Los Angeles like? Well, you know, uh, he, he went to one of the early rookie practices. He had a big moment in the L.A. Summer League, which was uh, nothing like Summer League today. It was a sleepy little affair. But people kicked in the doors. The Lakers were, as the the great columnist Jim Murray said, they look, by the late 70s, they look like a group of guys carrying a casket. And it, it was really <laughs> a, a very miserable situation. Uh, and in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, their great center, Magic finally found a teammate that he couldn't bend to his will. But he very wisely at age 19 took a step back and realized he had to, to do things differently with Kareem. But one of the first interactions he had, he went in, um, Paul Westhead arrived late, the, the guy who was going to be the assistant coach, a fine uh, college coach out of Philly, and, and they had the rookies practicing, and Magic Johnson goes dashing across the floor to throw this huge hug on Paul Westhead. And Paul Westhead was not a guy that, you know, it was – I guess you would call it standoffish coaching. You weren't looking to be best friends with the guys you were coaching. You weren't trying to be contrary or anything, but that first hug that, that Magic threw on Westhead was probably the last because, um, and don't get me wrong, they got along well enough. Uh, well enough to win that championship, and Magic would extol Westhead's virtues. But, of course, that famously turned sour in a hurry. Why it turned sour? I don't think Westhead really had a clue about the emotional side of pro basketball players. Um, but I think the real issue was that the, the Lakers were a um, schizophrenic team. They had all these guys that wanted to run with magic. They had a system that featured two point guards, essentially magic and Norm Nixon. And they had the greatest half court weapon in the history of the game, i.e. a guy who wasn't going to get out and run with them. And so Actually, those guys who loved to run with Magic, early in his tenure, they printed up little matchbooks. A lot of the players smoked back then. And the matchbook said, trade Kareem. And it was funny, uh, after they won the championship in 1980, uh, and, and, you know, really they they got in position to win the championship because Kareem – uh, working out of the, the half court gave them a 3-2 lead in games, and they had to go to Philly, as you recall, for game six. It was going to be on tape delay because the NBA's broadcasting numbers were so bad. And uh, Kareem couldn't play. He had, a, he had sprained his ankle in game five, and suddenly that opened up everything, changed the matchups, really befuddled Coach Billy Cunningham of the Sixers. And Magic won, scoring 42 points. And 
uh, all these rebounds and assists. And um, it, it led to the image that, that they they were this great running team uh, that had won. They were not. They were a team that lived on Kareem's ability to force every other team to scheme to stop him. And Paul Westhead did what every coach in America would do. He came in the next season, and um, uh, the, he came in two seasons later and really began to focus on installing a much better half-court offense, which led to a rebellion uh, led by Magic of the players. They did uh, not want to um, – they did not want to engage in any kind of half-court basketball. They wanted to run. So what was Magic's relationship with Kareem like at this time? Magic was wisely deferential. Uh, apparently, he he had his own set of matches, the matchbook cover that said trade Kareem. It was a joke. I don't think anyone really wanted to trade Kareem. But... Um, uh, Kareem was a tough guy. You know, he he spent a lot of time with his back turned to everybody in the locker room, his nose in a book or the morning paper. And, you know, Magic was his rookie, and Magic had to run errands for him. All that was fine. Kareem wasn't, wasn't tough there. But, um, you know, a lot of the people around Magic um, – George Andrews, his lawyer, all these people dealing with him really felt that uh, Magic bent over backward to uh, accommodate Kareem and that Kareem never appreciated it. Of course, it wasn't long before Jerry Buss secretly gave Magic this 25-year, $25 million contract. And then he couldn't stand it. He had to tell everybody about it. And once he did, I mean, that just detonated the Lakers' chemistry. You know, Kareem was so furious he couldn't even speak because not only did Jerry Buss give Magic this 25-year, $25 million contract, but he talked about him as a member of the family, and he had been. I mean, the, the owner of the Lakers, a guy new to, to the NBA, just fell in love with Magic from the first. They were out clubbing together, running around, going to all kinds of sporting events, hanging out into the wee hours. No other player had that kind of access. Nobody in, in the history of uh, the NBA had had that kind of relationship with an owner. And then suddenly they had this contract sprung on them. And Kareem told me once, he said, I just don't think Jerry Buss could handle my personal integrity. And, uh, you, you know, Kareem really didn't like Buss had all the celebrities with him at games up, at, up in his owner's uh, section of the building and he he had all these pre-game dinners at the forum he turned the forum club he created the forum club and turned it into this party scene and magic was you, you know as ron carter who who played for the lakers and then worked 
for Jerry Buss for quite a while and his real estate operations, the Lakers were basically in many ways a honeypot for Jerry Buss to attract investors in his real estate deals and to bring in all the celebrities and people. Buss was very hungry for celebrity. That doesn't make him any different than any other billionaire or, or back then millionaire who was wanting to own a team and get a much higher profile. But the way he went at it and his infatuation, as Jeannie Buss told me for my uh, for my book, it was like they were soulmates almost from the very start. And it stayed that way. And Kareem resented, resented it just immensely. It annoyed him. If Magic and Jerry Buss were to place it, none of the other Lakers could go. Meanwhile, they're very successful, right? Like, obviously, the first championship and then some dips, whatever, but still very, very competitive. Um, what was his, what was the dynamic like once they got rid of uh, uh, Westhead? What was the dynamic like with Pat Riley? Well, Pat Riley, you know, had been a sub on the Lakers to back up to Jerry West. His old man had um, been a minor league baseball manager. Um, Pat Riley understood the emotional side of being a pro athlete in a way that Paul Westhead did not. And it, it, it it took a while. There were there were all kinds of issues. Basically, Pat Riley still had to solve the schizophrenic nature of that team. They were gonna they could beat you either way. They could slow up in a half court, and everybody in the NBA had to really work to stop Kareem. Or they could get out on the break and they could just go right by you and, and just create fast break finishes like never seen before in basketball. And you just never knew which was going to happen. Um, and so that was good. But even Riley had to solve that kind of problem that Paul Westhead had faced. Because, uh, and, you know, I think probably who was instructive the most was a guy like Phil Jackson, who came out of, the Knicks with Red Holtzman, when he went to the Bulls, that was a very easy hierarchy. It was Michael Jordan on that team and everybody else. And Jordan drove the bus, literally. When he got to the Lakers, boom, here he had Kobe and he had Shaq. And Kobe was thinking, oh, here comes Phil with the triangle. This is going to be my big break. And Phil was just really cold with Kobe. To the point that Tex Winter, his assistant coach, had to intervene and tell Phil, you, you can't treat Kobe this way. But every coach in America with a shack on the roster is going to do what? It's going to establish a shack hierarchy first. And the and a flashy young guard, that, that's just not how you build things. That's not your priority. And so Pat Riley understood that he had to um he had two people he had to feed there but he figured out ways to do it and it really helped that 
Magic had everybody in America booing him after he fired Paul Westhead. And Magic essentially fired his own championship coach. And um, Riley was aware that Magic was in a position where he had to deliver. The only way out of that was to win. If, if they had not won, Magic would never have gained the momentum he did. That 1982 uh, NBA Finals victory over Philadelphia and, and the way they finished it, the strong manner, that set the table. It didn't guarantee them immediate success, but it really shut up all the booing. And the booing went on and on in just about every NBA arena through the rest of that 81-82 season. How did that, that affect him? Well, you know, um, it's hard to say. Um, you know, his coaches from Lansing and all the people in the community were very close to him. And after he fired his coach, they knew Magic was really down. And they all loaded up and went down to Chicago to see him for a game. And yeah, typical Magic had a dinner plan for him afterwards. He basically had place cards at all the seats. He was the ultimate control freak. He knew where he wanted all the coaches and various people seated. He had rooms for him in the Lakers hotel. So they had a wonderful dinner. Magic had been booed heavily in Chicago that night. And they were worried about him. But uh, he... They got back to the hotel, and the place was like a hooker's convention. It was absolutely <laughs> packed with women. And I'm not just talking the lobby. They were up prowling all through the hallways and stuff. And his coaches looked at him and said, Irvin, who are all these women? Are these women all prostitutes? And, and Magic said, no, some of them are prostitutes. But uh, a, a lot of them are just women, business women, whatnot, who want to be intimate with an NBA player, specifically a Laker. And years later, when you know he was, uh, he announced to the world that he was HIV positive. All those coaches thought back to that night, and George Fox, his um, high school coach, always used to say, "Oh, Magic took too many field trips with Jerry Buss." Yeah. Yep. They believed all that booing sort of hastened magic into the arms of that adoring crowd. I don't think so. I think magic was already well ensconced into the arms of that adoring crowd. Now, sounds, sounds, sounds about right. Um, the book takes us into the dynamics of the rivalry with Larry Bird. Um, how real was that? Oh, you know, Bird, Bird was an asshole. And Magic was this nice guy, but Bird was not a friendly competitor. You know, Dominique Wilkins tells the story. Bird wouldn't even shake his hand. You know, Bird was Bird was on a mission of his own, in his own style, in his own way. Uh, you know, Larry and, and Magic had uh, Billy Packer and uh, some uh, entrepreneurs had put together um, – an international touring team in 1978. 
to come play basketball in America. International pros uh, from Europe and South America. And they got Joby Hall at Kentucky, who had just won the championship, and his starting five. And they included Larry and Magic on that team. And they would add other players. They played uh, three games in three venues. And there was a lot of garbage time in those games. And Joby Hall, the two guys who would revolutionize basketball, hardly got off the bench. And, you know, again, it's a coach with his starting five NCAA champions. He he wasn't much interested in, in Magic or in in Bird. And as Billy Packer said, you know, Bird just seemed to be pouting the whole time. But when they would get on the floor, they just couldn't help. But, but with the way they played, with that open court look, with the way they rebounded, and of course the rebounding for Magic and, and Bird both were was such a part of the way they controlled things, especially as they rose through college basketball on into the NBA. In fact, you asked about that first season in L.A. As Paul Westhead explained, Magic wasn't really trying to be a point guard. His solution to the Kareem thing and all the other issues with the Lakers was to rebound. And he really obviously has always had always had great ability to rebound uh just that just that knack and whether it was offensive rebounding to to produce another shot or really driving the fast break with his defensive rebound it was uh the the, the kind of thing he could retreat to without getting in the way of one guy or another and and that really was the foundation with which he built his identity was showtime. The HIV and the early retirement. Um, what was that like to research? Well, I was there for a, a lot of it. And so I saw it. Uh, you know, Lon Rosen helped me tremendously with this, as did George Andrews, who had been Magic's lawyer for the first seven or eight years of his career. He was there for everything. Dr. Charles Tucker helped me tremendously. He was Magic's advisor from junior high on as, as a school psychologist and then became his professional advisor, was also an advisor for Isaiah Thomas and Mark Aguirre and Herb uh, Williams, all these different figures that were sort of, you know, Magic and Isaiah and those guys were sort of sort of a brat pack for the NBA or a, or what was called the rat pack. Uh, in Hollywood, they they sort of had their own thing going, and Charles Tucker was their guy, and so I I had the the view of these guys as they watch Magic go through this experience. Um, by the time he got to HIV, Lon Rosen was his advisor, but he really had to come clean on a lot of things. You know, it was. Uh, they looked at every way possible at just sort of slinking away and not having to reveal. And Magic hated the idea people would think he was gay. Because in America, HIV was a gay thing, either that or a blood transfusion. But he finally, you know, just stood up there and and 
said it. Uh, as Chick Hearn would say, I had no idea how you could get up in front of the world and say those things. And it was a very somber thing. It cost him tremendously. It has cost him as a public figure. And I think one of the amazing things is how he recovered from it. Obviously, the All-Star Game in 1992 in Orlando was uh, an amazing event. Um, the Dream Team was a great thing. But really, the underreported chapter is the Magic Johnson All-Stars. He made 21st century money. By, there was such a hunger after the 92 Dream Team for American basketball globally. And he got all these retired guys, flew them around in Learjets. He had all these games. He raked in the cash and really popularized in ways that just weren't reported here. It wasn't a, a big deal in America that Magic's touring with his all-stars. But in Europe, on, on every continent except Antarctica, and hell, they may have played a game or two in Antarctica. I don't know. But they played everywhere, and there was no concern about HIV. And uh, it was right at this time that he and his uh, business manager, these two black guys, got a hold of Peter Goober, at, who was head of Sony USA, and pitched the Magic Johnson Theaters as this great big thing. And, of course, it was. And Sony first funded them and then bought them outright from Magic. And that was his first, first big score of a business deal. Uh, and that guy is, I mean... He has uh, he has more businesses going today, insurance companies, banks, uh, or lending institutions, contracting companies. He he's he's a busy, busy guy, and he he. This again is the organic magic. He obsessed about being a businessman like this since he was uh, a kid, a teenager, cleaning the offices of this very successful black businessman in, in Lansing, Michigan. Magic used to prop his feet up on the desk at night when he was cleaning the offices up in the executive suite and just dream of being this guy. And, you know, it's not easy. He is that guy. Last thing. When I close this book, what do you believe my image of Magic Johnson is going to be? Pretty damn cool. Uh, and I'm not selling that. But I just think, you know, Kobe destroyed his life. He destroyed his career. And he had to rebuild it. And uh, that required that iron will that these great competitors have. they It's just a different thing. It's a different level thing in each of these guys. And Magic pretty much with the HIV thing really just deep-sixed everything he had built up as an NBA uh, star and champion. I mean, it, it, it just made him I, – I, I hear it now. People ask me, why the hell are you writing a book about that guy? But he had, he is possessed of that insanely uh, iron will. And he has used every bit of it. 
And it's, you know, it hasn't been everything he's done is right. He, he had an abysmal talk show, period. And, 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 you know, he had a strange situation with the Lakers. He got lot, uh, he, you know, he got LeBron there and then he resigned in a snit that seemed really childish. But, um, he just has managed to take the circumstances that would have wrecked anybody else. And he has wrung victory out of it in a very big way. Well, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. I am really, really looking forward to this book. And uh, I don't speak Portuguese, but eventually it'll come out in Portuguese like the Michael Jordan book has. It's already in eight languages, just Greek. I don't speak a word of any of these languages, but I, I, I do enjoy watching people all over the globe lock in on basketball because, you know, magic is magical. Basketball is magical. All of this stuff is uh, it's important in a very different way. Thanks for your time and joining me. I truly appreciate it. Great to see you again, Doug. To remind of the Doug Gottlieb show airs daily, daily, three to five Eastern, 12 to two Pacific. Plus we have the bonus hour podcast. Just type in Doug Gottlieb show. You can download it. Bonus hour is a little bit more uncouth. Um, we don't have any FCC regulations. We can just have a lot of fun with it. It's called the Doug Gottlieb show. Download it wherever you download podcasts like this one. In the meantime, I thanks to Rowan for joining me. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.